Welcome to your Christmas book. Silent Night is one of my favorites. It doesn't follow the usual R.L. Stein convention where the entire book is just from one character's point of view. It splits it up and it goes between Reva Dalby and her cousin Pam and how rich Reva is and how she treats people and just expects things. She's entitled. She's rich. And how poor Pam is and how Pam lives on a house in Fear Street and is drafty and cold and she's always miserable and there's a nice dynamic going on. This is one of the first books I have read from R.L. Stein, where it was from the protagonist and the antagonist point of view. And that's kind of a weird thing to say because no one is rooting for Reva. She's a straight up pain in the butt. Whenever I read this book as a kid, I was always rooting for the bad guys. I thought that they were justified in their actions. Reading about a robbery is pretty cool too. The ideas behind, well, we know the security guard, we can get in. We can get our things by this time, get to the car. I have never really thought like that before this book. It's really cool to see that perspective and see that mindset. And I guess this is a revenge novel. Pam is sick and tired of Reva getting everything and she wants revenge on her, so she's going to go rob them all. It's a lot of fun. I like this book. This is part of a trilogy. I will record Silent Night 2 and 3. One of the lessons I learned doing 99 Fear Street is not to do a trilogy back to back to back. I plan to make Silent Night my Christmas novel every year. You should get Silent Night 2, December of 2023, and Silent Night 3, December of 2024. And yes, I do have plans for that long. I'm already working on 2023 stuff. So thank you very much for listening. If you want to get in touch with me, I'm on Twitter at Nightfall Audio. I have an email address, nightfallaudiobooks at gmail.com. And you can check me out on YouTube at Nightfall Audiobooks. I love hearing from you guys. I love hearing what you have to say. Like, comment, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your mom, tell whoever you want. If they have a Fear Street interest or an R.L. Stein interest, tell them to give me a listen. I'd really appreciate it. Thank you very much, and I will see you next time. Hi, this is Chris Ebinger, and welcome to a Nightfall Audiobooks production of Silent Night, a Fear Street Super Chiller, Book 2, by R.L. Stein. Prologue Reva Dalby admired her reflection in the glass countertop. Only two weeks till Christmas, she thought, smoothing the eyeshadow on her left eyelid with her little finger, then adjusting her wavy red hair. Shoppers crowded the aisles of the brightly lit department store. The Christmas carols jangling out over the loudspeakers were nearly drowned out by the steady roar of voices, of shuffling feet, of ringing phones, crying babies, the whole electric buzz and whir of all large department stores at holiday time. Reva leaned against the glass perfume counter, ignoring the blur of customers, her purple nails clicking against the glass, a nervous habit she rather enjoyed. She glanced up at the clock, another hour until lunchtime, when she could escape from her narrow, noisy prison cell. What am I doing here anyway? Riva asked herself, tapping her long nails more rapidly against the glass. Why did I ever agree to take this job? Her cold, blue eyes focused on the makeup counter across the aisle, where two salesgirls, blonde model types, had scurried to wait on a dumpy woman in a stained purple sweater coat, carrying two brown shopping bags. How tacky, Riva thought scornfully. That woman is beyond makeup. She should go straight to plastic surgery. And look at the bleach job on the one over there. Or is her hair naturally green? Reva snickered. Making fun of the customers was the only thing that got her through the day. They were all so pitiful, they just didn't have a clue. 
She glanced up at the clock. It hadn't moved. I could be out enjoying my Saturday, Reba thought. She rubbed the back of her neck, then pushed her hair into place. Why do they have to keep it 200 degrees in here, she wondered, shaking her head. She felt as if she were suffocating. I'm going to talk to Daddy about turning down the heat, she decided. What was that awful song on the loudspeakers? Not the little drummer boy again. Someone should pass a law against playing that song in public places, Reba thought, covering her ears. She was startled by a tap on her shoulder. She spun around to see Arlene Smith, or Ms. Smith as she liked to be called, the sales manager for the perfume department and Reva's boss. She was a short, frail woman who thought she was chic and trendy because she wore men's suits. Yuck, those tacky shoulder pads, thought Reva. Is she going to try out for fullback for the Bears? Reva, do you have an earache? Ms. Smith asked, her face wrinkled with concern. Reva lowered her hands from her ears. No, it's that song, she explained. If you hear it once, it stays in your head all day and rots your brain. Well, I really don't think Ms. Smith started to scold, but Reva interrupted her. It's the rum-tum-tum, she said. I mean, really, how many rum-tum-tums can a human take in one song? Ms. Smith ignored the question. Reva, I'll take the floor for a while. The Chanel reorder just came in. It's all in the back, and the case is Mark Chanel. I'd like you to open them up and stock the display shelves, okay? Gee, I can't, Reva said, not sounding at all apologetic. I just did my nails this morning. She stared hard into her supervisor's eyes as if challenging her. What? Ms. Smith's small gray eyes widened with confusion. She didn't seem to believe what she had just heard. I don't want to wreck my nails, Reva repeated, holding up her slender hands, wiggling her fingers to exhibit the deep magenta nails. Sorry. Ms. Smith's expression turned quickly to anger. She sucked in her breath and drew herself up to her not very impressive height, glaring at Reva, obviously trying to decide how to handle this insubordination. Gee, I hope she doesn't explode, Reva thought, forcing herself not to laugh. Her shoulder pads might fly off and hit someone. Reva, I'm not going to take this much longer, Ms. Smith said, her hands balled into tight fists at her sides, her voice quivering. Just two more weeks, Reva thought, then I'll be out of here. She didn't say anything. This seemed to make Ms. Smith even angrier. I really want you to unload those cases and stock the shelves, she said, saying each word slowly and distinctly. Maybe later, Reva gave her a big phony smile. This really is the last straw, Ms. Smith declared. She glared at Reva, then spun around in her men's wingtips and stormed down the aisle, heading toward the main floor office. Reva leaned against the counter, watching her until she disappeared into a crowd of customers. What's your problem anyway, she asked herself. My dad owns this store. He owns all of the Dolby stores. Why should I listen to a stupid sales clerk with shoulder pads bigger than her head? A scene across the aisle caught Reva's attention. A woman was leaning over the makeup counter while a five- or six-year-old boy tugged at her skirt. Mom! 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 He kept repeating, an impatient plea. Then he tugged so hard he tugged her skirt down to her knees. The woman calmly turned around, pulled off her skirt, and gently paddled the boy across the bottom. Kids are a riot, Reva thought, chuckling. Hey, miss. Miss? Out of the corner of her eye, Reva saw a middle-aged man in a heavy brown tweed overcoat trying to get her attention. She carefully turned the other way, avoiding his eyes. Hey, miss? Miss? Please? Let someone else wait on him. Where was Lucy anyway? She was supposed to be back from break. The man wandered off. Reva took out her lipstick from the drawer, pulled off the top, and twisted the tube. She turned the round countertop mirror so that she could see herself better, leaned toward it, puckered her full lips into a pout, and began spreading the magenta lipstick on them. It took a second for the pain to register. Then she let out a horrified shriek and dropped the lipstick. 
Gasping in pain and surprise, she stared into the small mirror and saw blood pouring down her chin. Her lips throbbed with pain. She stood frozen in horror. So much blood! Frantically, she grabbed up tissues, mopping gently at her lips. I'm cut. I'm cut. I can't stop the bleeding. What has happened here? Pressing a wad of tissues against her mouth, she saw large strips of blood on a glass countertop. Breathing hard, she bent down and searched the floor for the lipstick tube. It had rolled under the counter. She snatched at it and brought it up to the light to examine it. Trying to hold the tube steady in her trembling hand, Reva saw at once what had cut her. A needle. It poked out from the center of the tube. I've used this lipstick before, Reva thought, feeling the warm blood still running down her chin. And it was perfectly okay. Somebody put that needle in her lipstick. But who? Who would do such a vicious thing to her? Hi, this is Chris Ebinger, and welcome to a Nightfall Audiobooks production of Silent Night, a Fear Street Super Chiller. Book 2 by R. L. Stein. Part 1 Angry Days. Chapter 1 Two Weeks Earlier. Without warning, Reva pulled the Volvo over to the curb and cut the headlights. She turned quickly toward the passenger side and watched Hank's face fill with surprise. Hey, his brown eyes narrowed suspiciously. What's the big idea? She studied his face as if seeing him for the first time. His hair was blonde, short, and spiky. He had large, dark eyes, serious eyes. He wore a diamond stud in one ear. He had a thick football player's neck. He was big, broad-chested, with powerful arms. Hank thinks he's tough, Reba thought. I hope for his sake that he is. She'd been going out with Hank Davis for more than six months, but studying him now, he seems to be a stranger to her. He's not my type at all, she thought. He's so crude, so coarse. Why did I waste so much time going out with him? Reva, how come you parked the car? He asked. I guess he was just a phase I was going through, Reva thought. Or rather, a phase I went through. She gripped the wheel with both hands and stretched. She had parked under a streetlight, the yellow light filling the windshield, making Hank's hair appear white, his skin unnaturally pale. Beyond the streetlight, she could see only bare-limbed trees, bending and shifting in a swift, wintry breeze. She must have pulled over near a small park or some woods. She wasn't sure where she was. It really didn't matter. We have to talk, she said, keeping her voice low and steady, staring straight into his eyes. It sounded so cornball. This whole thing was cornball, Reva thought. She decided to play it out for its amusement value. Talk. What about? he asked, rubbing his face with his hand. Us, she said, making her voice dramatic, trying to sound as if she were struggling to hold back a flood of emotion. For some reason, he grinned at her. I like that topic, he said, leaning toward her, reaching for her hand. But she kept her hand wrapped around the steering wheel. Her features tightened, and she fixed him with a cold stare. I've decided you and I are through, she said. Mercilessly, she kept her eyes on his features. She wanted to enjoy his reaction. A shockwave of surprise contorted his face. His eyes went wide. His mouth dropped open. Huh. I guess I surprised him, Reva thought, feeling pleased. I just hope he doesn't make a big deal out of this. Suddenly apprehensive, she felt the same sense of danger that had attracted to her to Hank in the first place. He was a nice guy most of the time, she had to admit, caring, kind of innocent in a way. But she really liked the angry side of him, too. Once, he punched his fist through a screen door because she refused to go to a dumb Arnold Schwarzenegger movie with him. She had surprised herself by discovering how much she enjoyed watching him explode. Opposites attract, they say, and Hank was certainly her opposite. She was always so calm, so controlled. So thoughtful about everything she did or said. At times, she admired his spontaneity, the way he just acted without thinking. 
but more and more often lately she found herself secretly laughing at him. He was just such a Neanderthal. Hey, what are you talking about? Hank asked, rubbing the shoulder of her coat. You mad at me or something. I wish you'd stop pawing me, Reva snapped. No, I'm not mad at you or something. We've just had it. It's over. He pulled his hand away and shifted his long legs uncomfortably. What are you talking about? She could see the anger smoldering in his dark eyes. Maybe I should have done this in a more public place, Reva thought, glancing out at the dark trees. Not a single car had come by the whole time. What if Hank decides to get violent? Let's not make a big deal out of this, she told him, rolling her eyes. But it's a big deal to me, he insisted, a little embarrassed at having to reveal so much emotion. Reva yawned. It's nothing personal, she said, glancing at the clock on the dashboard. 8.06. I've got to get this over with, she told herself. I promised Daddy I'd pick him up at the store at 8. Daddy will be pleased that I'm breaking up with Hank, she thought. He can never understand why I went out with him in the first place. But why? Hank was pleading. At least tell me why. Honey, you're too big to whine like that, Reva thought cruelly. I like it so much better when you're macho and tough. Hank, please, she started, acting as if she were the injured party. Give me a break, okay? But why do you want to break up with me? He insisted, his voice shaking as he started to lose control. I just decided to start the new year with someone more interesting. What a zinger, Reva thought. She'd been rehearsing that line all afternoon. At the last minute, she had decided it was much too cruel, but she couldn't resist. Hank dropped back against the seat as if he'd been shot. Whoa, he said sadly. Then, unexpectedly, he lunged toward her and grabbed her shoulder angrily. Reva, don't. Was he going to hurt her? Was he going to fly out of control? Let her have it the way he had given it to the screen door? She decided to beat him to his own game. Let go of me, she screamed at the top of her lungs. Her outcry worked. Startled, he let go. You'll be sorry about this, Reva, he said, his voice trembling. He turned and stared straight ahead, unable to look at her, unwilling to let her see the emotion on his face. Oh, brother, Reva groaned to herself. If he starts to cry, I'll puke. You'll be sorry, he repeated, still peering out through the dark windshield. She popped the automatic door locks. This wasn't as as much fun as I thought it would be, Reva thought, brushing back her hair. I thought he'd at least come back at me with some arguments. I didn't think he'd sit there sniffling like a wimp and threatening me in that whiny voice. A surprising thought crept into her mind. Maybe he really cares about me. She dismissed it quickly. Who cares? What do I need him for? Reva, you can't do this to me, Hank said, facing her finally, his features tight with anger. I've got to run, she said coldly. She reached across him, pulled the handle, and pushed his door open. Take a walk, Hank. He hesitated, staring at her with his dark eyes, angry eyes. She could see that he was thinking hard, trying to decide what to do, what to say to her. You'll be sorry, he said. Take a walk, she repeated cruelly, pressing her foot down impatiently on the gas pedal, gunning the engine. He glared at her one last time, then slid out of the car and slammed the door behind him. Reva switched on the headlights and shifted into drive. She started to pull away, then stopped and slid down her window. Oh, Hank? Hank, she called to him. His hands buried in the pockets of his leather bomber jacket, a grim expression on his face. He jogged slowly up to her car. Yeah, what? Happy holidays, she said cheerfully. Then, laughing, she floored the gas pedal and roared away, leaving him standing in the street like a total fool. A total fool! The car hummed smoothly toward town, warm air billowing up from the heater vents. The trees gave way to brightly lit houses, many of them already decorated for Christmas. Feeling relieved and very pleased at how it had gone, Reva relaxed, enjoying the feeling of freedom, of being by herself, of moving so smoothly, so effortlessly through the night. 
I'm free, she thought, as free as the wind. She scolded herself for having such cornball thoughts, but it was true, she realized. For the first time in six months, she was free to go out with anyone. With everyone! Who would she like to go out with? She didn't have to ponder the question for long. Mitch Castellona. She'd been thinking about Mitch for quite a while. Mitch is really cute, she thought, picturing him. His thick mop of black hair, the adorable dimples in his cheeks when he smiled. Mitch was a good tennis player. Maybe she'd invite him to the indoor tennis club she belonged to. Yes, Mitch Castellona, a good prospect. I'll bet I can take him away from that drippy Lisa Dewey, Reva thought with a smile. She clicked on the radio and immediately recognized the song that came on. It was Silent Night, a lush instrumental version. Turning onto Division Street, stores and offices rolling by on both sides, Reva began to sing along. Such a beautiful song, she thought. Singing loudly, she tried to block out her thoughts about Hank, but couldn't. He was having a silent night all right. He was walking all the way home in silence. Thinking about it made her laugh again. She was still chuckling when she reached Dalby's and pulled a silver Volvo into the executive parking lot. The store had closed at six. Reva entered through the security guard's door. The uniformed guard was seated at a low table with his feet up, concentrating on a basketball game on the radio. He raised his eyes and, recognizing her, gave her a nod and returned to his game. Tough security around here, Reva thought scornfully, hurrying through the narrow back corridor toward the main floor. As she stepped into the vast, empty store, dark except for a row of dim nightlights against one wall, her old fear returned. Just chill out, she scolded herself. You're supposed to be tough. But she couldn't control the heaviness in her stomach, the tightening of her neck muscles, the constriction of her lungs. It wasn't fear of the dark, she knew, and it wasn't a fear of being by herself. It wasn't a fear that could easily be pinned down, but ever since she'd been a little girl, whenever Reva had been in the department store after closing, whenever she had walked the dark, empty aisles alone with the doors locked, the fear was there. Cold perspiration covered her forehead. Her hands felt like ice. Her brain began to spin with crazy thoughts. Everyone has phobias, she told herself, forcing herself to take deep breaths, to slow the heavy thudding of her heart. She made her way past the perfume and cosmetics counters to the employee's elevator. Everyone has irrational fears. She stopped and leaned against a glass counter filled with costume jewelry. Wiping the perspiration off her forehead with the sleeve of her coat, she let her eyes wander over the store. Nothing moved. Silence. Silent night, she thought. Why am I so afraid? She forced herself to start moving again toward the elevator against the back wall. She knew she'd be fine once she was in the offices on the sixth floor, once she was with her father. After all, it wasn't the first time she met him after closing. She tried to meet him at least once a week at the store. Ever since her mother had died in a plane crash three years earlier, Reva tried to be close to her father, tried to fill just a bit of the hole that her mother's death had created in his life. Mr. Dalby liked Reva to meet him so they could drive home together, so she forced herself to come to walk across the vast main floor, her sneakers squeaking on the hard tile floors, her breath choking in her throat, her knees trembling so hard she could barely walk. She forced herself for his sake, and because she was determined that no stupid, irrational fear would ever stand in the way of what she wanted to do. But now, the low shadows against the display cases seemed to move as she approached. Reva heard an eerie whistling sound in her ears. In a dim light, everything seemed so creepy, so unreal. What if someone has hidden in the store, Reva asked herself. It wasn't the first time the question had popped into her mind. What if a deranged person is waiting here in the dark? Or what if some disgusting homeless person is hiding here? She couldn't force these silly, irrational thoughts from her mind. And then, as she turned into the aisle that led to the elevator, a hand bumped her shoulder. Reva gasped and spun around to face the man standing right behind her. 
Chapter 2 Leave me alone! What do you want? Riva cried out and stumbled back into a shelf of handbags. The man didn't move. He just stared, wide-eyed and still. He couldn't move, Riva realized. He wasn't a man. He was a mannequin. She took a deep breath and let it out. Her throat felt dry. She was still shaking. Riva, you're an idiot, she said aloud, her voice sounding small in the enormous empty store. She suddenly felt like laughing. Of all the stupid fools, I backed into a mannequin and nearly scared myself to death. Feeling a little better, but still scolding herself for being so weak, she stepped through the open door of the employee's elevator. The door slid closed behind her, and she pressed the button for the sixth floor. She felt nearly normal as she stepped out onto the floor of the luxurious executive offices. The lights were all on, recessed into the dark fabric-covered walls, lined with large modern paintings. Fresh flowers stood in tall vases on the plush maroon carpet. Riva passed the reception area with its leather couches and chairs and followed the hallway toward her father's office in the corner. To her left stood a wide balcony that looked down on all five floors of the store. As she passed it, Riva peered over at the eerily silent store. A bank of security monitors, an entire wall of TV screens, stood adjacent to Mr. Dalby's office. And to Riva's surprise, the monitors were still on, creating a low electrical hum that grew louder as she approached. How odd, she thought. Those screens are usually turned off up here after closing. She didn't have long to think about this. Suddenly, the door to her father's office swung open, and a man in a blue uniform came bursting out, colliding with Riva. Ow! she cried. She recognized the man at once. It was Mickey Wakeley's dad, the store's head of security. Mr. Wakeley! He glared at Riva angrily, his dark eyes wild, his face and bald head bright red. Excuse me, he said curtly, and strode off without a glance back. Still shaken, Riva saw her dad appear in the office doorway. Mr. Dalby was a trim, handsome man, dressed in an expensive tailored suit, who looked younger than his forty-five years, except for the silver that had crept along the sides of his black, grossly trimmed hair. His face usually lit up when he saw Riva, but now his expression was troubled. Come in, he said, sighing wearily. Daddy, what's going on? Riva asked, following him into the bright office. Why did Mr. Wickley come bombing out like that? She sat down in a leather chair that faced her father's blonde wood desk and stared at the back of the photograph in the plexiglass frame on the corner of the desk. She knew it by heart. It was of Riva, her little brother Michael, and their mother on the beach in bathing suits at the Cape. The photo had been taken four years earlier, just six months before Riva's mother had been killed. Riva always wondered why her father kept the photo there. Didn't it make him sad all day long? What a day, he said, leaning his forehead against the cool glass of the huge office window behind his desk. What a day. So, what was Mr. Wickley's problem, Riva asked, speaking to her father's back. He practically knocked me over. I just fired him, Mr. Dalby said, not turning around. Huh? Her father's words took Riva by surprise. Mr. Wickley had been head of security for a long time, as long as she could remember. She knew his son Mickey from school. He seems like an okay kid. He wasn't part of Riva's crowd, of course. He lived in a tiny house in the old village. All of Riva's friends lived near her in North Hills, the expensive section of Shadyside. I had to let him go, Mr. Dalby said, walking over and slumping into his leather desk chair. The chair made a soft whoosh as he sank into it. Mr. Dalby looked as if he had deflated too, Riva thought. This is just between you and me, her father said, leaning across the desk to speak confidentially to her. But he was shrinking on the job. With the holiday season coming up, I need someone who's going to give a hundred percent. I need someone I can rely on. He sure looked angry, Riva said, remembering Wakeley's bright red face as it had loomed over hers. 
Yeah, well, I was angry too, Mr. Dobby said, tapping his fingers nervously on the desktop. I guess both of us said some things we shouldn't have, but I had to fire him. I really had no choice. You ready to go home? Reva asked, losing interest in the subject. That wasn't the only thing that happened today, her father said, not hearing her question. One of my Santa Clauses quit, said his wife convinced him to move to a warmer climate, and I'm having all kinds of electrical problems. Christmas coming up in four weeks, and everything keeps shorting out. Why not use candles, Reva suggested. The store would look beautiful by candlelight. People would love it. Yeah, till it burned down, he said sarcastically. You've always had a very practical mind, Reva. She knew he was making fun of her, but she thanked him anyway. Only trying to get you to lighten up, Daddy. He suddenly looked a lot older to her. I didn't even tell you about the troubles in the Cleveland store and the Walnut Creek store. I can't wait, Reva said, yawning loudly. Mr. Dobby laughed. Very amusing. Okay, let's go home. He started to get up, but then sank back in his chair. Oh, wait, I almost forgot. Problems in the Pittsburgh store? Reva asked. No, stop being such a wise guy. I can't help it, Reva cracked. I get it from you. He ignored her remark. Do you have any friends who want vacation jobs? He asked. I already told you you can have a job this vacation, but I need four or five stock clerks. They can work weekends and part-time up till your school vacation. Then they can work full-time right up to Christmas. Neat, Reva cried with real enthusiasm. She immediately thought of Mitch Castellona. I'll call Mitch as soon as I get home, she told herself, her mind whirring excitedly. He'll be so grateful that I have a job for him, he'll drop Lisa without hesitating. Thanks, Daddy, she said and leaned across the desk to kiss his forehead. That's way cool. I'll find some kids for you. All the way home, she thought about what she would say to Mitch, how she would offer him the job and let him know she was coming on to him. This should be an interesting holiday vacation, Reva told herself. She wondered how Lisa Dewey would react when Reva stole her boyfriend from her. Just thinking about it made Reva smile all the way home. What a hoot. Hi, Mitch? Yeah, hi. Who's this? It's opportunity calling, Reva said, twisting the phone cord between her fingers. Huh? Who? Mitch had a hoarse, croaky voice. It really didn't match his preppy good looks at all, Reva thought. It was such a comical voice, and Mitch was such a straight arrow. It's Reva Dalby, she said, keeping her voice low, trying to sound sultry. Reva, hi, how's it going? He sounded very surprised to hear from her. She'd never called him before. It's going real well, she said, rolling her eyes. She was sitting on the chair beside her bed, her feet tucked under her. I wonder what you're doing this Christmas. Are you going away or anything? It took him a while to reply. He must be trying to figure out why I'm calling, Reva thought. She heard someone, a girl, ask him who was on the phone. No, he said finally. I'm just hanging around, I guess. Well, my dad needs workers at the store. You know, Dobby's on Division Street. I told him I'd ask some people if they wanted to work. The pay is pretty good. It's part-time until vacation, then it's full-time up to Christmas. Really, he croaked. Think you might be interested? Reva asked, pleased by his surprise reaction. Yeah, for sure, he replied with true enthusiasm. That's great. Yeah, thanks, Reva. I can really use the money, you know. Good, I'm really glad, Mitch, Reva purred. Maybe we can work together. You're going to work too? Yeah, I'd rather be on a beach somewhere, of course, but Daddy always has to be around for the holidays. It's his most important time of year, so I'm going to start working next Saturday morning. That's when you're supposed to start, too, at 8.30. Yeah, well, thanks, Reva, Mitch said. This is really nice of you. I'll be there Saturday morning, 8.30. She shifted the phone to her other ear, still coiling the wire between her fingers. 
I'm looking forward to it, Mitch, she said sexually, hoping he'd catch her meaning. I think we'll have some fun. She could hear Muffle whispering on the other end. Then Mitch came back on the line. Uh, Reva? Yeah? He seemed reluctant to ask his question, but he finally got it out. Did you say you had a lot of jobs open? Well, I have a few, Reva told him. Do you think Lisa could work there too? She really needs the money, and she'd really like to work. You know Lisa, right? Sure. I know the drippy little beach blonde with that little girl face who everyone thinks is just so cute, thought Reva. Lisa has about as much personality as a sponge mop. Sure, Reva said. I know her. Well, do you have a job for her too? Mitch asked, sounding very nervous. I mean, you can say no if you want. But I just thought, no, Reva thought. Yeah, she said. No problem, Mitch. I'm sure Lisa can start on Saturday, too. Why not, Reva told herself, unable to suppress a cunning smile. Having Lisa right there will make it even more interesting when I take Mitch away from her. Hey, thanks, Mitch said happily. Hold on a minute, Reva. Lisa is right here. I'll put her on. What a thrill, Reva thought sarcastically. A few seconds later, Lisa's little girl voice was in Reva's ear. Oh, thanks, Reva. I mean, I'm so glad. Thanks. No problem, Reva said. Daddy needs to help, so I thought I'd... Where do we go? Lisa interrupted excitedly. I mean, what will we be doing? Selling or something? Lisa's questions gave Reva an idea. A very mean idea. She decided to play a trick on her. This is inspired. Inspired, she thought, laughing to herself. Well, Lisa, wear your very best clothes Saturday morning, okay? Reva told her, struggling to sound serious. My best clothes? Lisa sounded uncertain. Yeah, you know, something really sophisticated. You've got to look right. You're going to be a salesperson at one of the perfume counters. Chanel, I think. Really? Lisa couldn't hide her excitement. That's great. Thanks, Reva. They chatted for a few seconds more. Then Reva said she had other calls to make. Lisa thanked her again, and they hung up. Reva jumped to her feet, laughing out loud, very pleased with herself. What a hoot, she thought. I can't wait to see Lisa's face when she shows up for work in her best dress and finds out she's going to be loading shelves in the basement stock room. What's so funny? A voice startled her from her thoughts. Michael, she scolded her six-year-old brother. Don't just come barging into my room like that. Why not? He asked. She laughed. I don't know why not, she said. She always found it impossible to be angry at Michael. For one thing, with his curly red hair and dark blue eyes and creamy white skin, he looked just like her. She also knew it had to be hard for someone his age to be growing up without a mother. Yvonne, Michael's nanny, was really devoted to him and spent all her time with him, but it just wasn't the same. He doesn't even remember mom, she thought sadly. She watched him bouncing on her bed, using it as a trampoline. She knew she should scold him to make him go back to bed, but she didn't feel like it. Hey, not so high, she cried. I'm flying, he shouted happily. Riva started to think about who else she wanted to call and offer a job. Most of the kids she hung out with were going someplace warm for the holidays. When the phone rang, Michael let out a shriek, startling her. Michael, that's enough, she said sharply. Al, I have to answer the phone. He bounced two more times, then leapt off the bed and disappeared out the door. Reva picked up the phone. Hi, Reva, it's Pam. Oh, wow, it's Miss Pretty Puss, Reva thought bitterly. Miss Sweet as Apple Pie. Pam Dobby was Reva's cousin. And even though Pam's family was poor and lived in a ramshackle old house on Fear Street, Reva, in an honest moment, would have to admit that she was jealous of her cousin. With her straight blonde hair, usually pulled back in a ponytail, and her round, friendly face, and her flashing green eyes, Pam had clean-cut, all-American good looks. Why doesn't she wear lipstick or little eyeshadow, Reva would wonder. Why doesn't she do something with her hair? But secretly, and not so secretly, 
Rifa envied her cousin, envied the way people immediately liked her, envied her ease with people and all her friends. Of course, she'd never admit any of this to Pam. And most of the time when she thought about her cousin, which was seldom, she thought of her scornfully. She was so pathetically poor, after all, and wore the same pair of jeans every time Reva saw her, and acted so... ordinary. Hi, Pam. How have you been? Okay. I have a cold, but who doesn't? Pam replied, sniffling. I don't, Reva thought gratefully. How is Uncle Robert? Pam asked. Kind of tired, you know. It's showtime at the store. That's what I wanted to ask you about, Pam said. I was wondering, Reva, she hesitated. This was obviously difficult for Pam. Uh... Are there any jobs available at the store, you know, for the holidays? No way, Reva thought, tapping her purple fingernails across the phone receiver. Who needs a poor tacky cousin lurking about, making me feel guilty? Oh, I'm so sorry, Reva told Pam, making herself sound really upset. I wish you called me last week, Pam. All the holiday jobs are taken. I'm such a good liar, Reva congratulated herself. I sound so broken up, even I would believe me. Oh, Pam replied quietly, obviously very disappointed. I wish I had called sooner. What a shame, Reva said, sighing sympathetically. I really feel terrible, Pam. Then she brightened her tone. Oh, well, good to hear from you. We'll have to get together before Christmas. Say hi to your parents. Reva replaced the receiver, a pleased smile on her face. All in all, it had been quite a satisfying evening. Pam Dalby slammed the receiver down so hard she knocked the phone off the desk. She groaned unhappily and bent down to pick it up. That liar, Pam cried out loud. She sank down onto her bed and angrily tossed her ragged old teddy bear against the wall. I'd love to pay Reva back someday, Pam thought bitterly. Just once, I'd love to find a way to pay her back.